From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Tom Dolby, and I'm a novelist and the author of the recently released novel, The Sixth Form, which is my second book. The Sixth Form is set at a boarding school in Massachusetts and focuses on the lives of two boys, Todd and Ethan, and their English teacher, Hannah. And this chapter, Chapter 20, takes place during spring break when Todd has returned home to Manhattan and is staying at his mother's apartment. Chapter 20. Todd's memories of his father were separate and distinct, like dioramas in a museum, wholly cut off from a larger narrative. Crouching on the toilet lid in his parents' bathroom and watching his father shave, the roughness of his face before, the smoothness afterward. Don taking him and Brian to the park before they had moved right across the street from it, playing in the bushes with his brother while their father watched nearby. The four of them eating brunch at a restaurant, Something on Columbus Avenue, Jackie had not been pleased with the service, his mother insisting that they wash their hands before eating, their father saying it didn't matter, that a little New York City dirt never hurt anyone. The way his father smelled after he drank his scotch at night, slightly antiseptic, sugary, a hint of rotting wood. The night he had let Todd, age four, take a few sips, and then watched as his son wobbled his way back to the boys' shared bedroom. Don Eldon had been striking, a man who could have stepped out of a jockey underwear ad, an NYU graduate, a business major from an upper-middle-class family in Rye. Jackie loved him, even though he had never really succeeded at anything. He had his real estate license. His parents had been supplementing his modest broker's income for years. As Jackie's career started to explode, it was her fourth completed manuscript that finally sold, making all those long nights worth it. It became clear that she and the boys could get along without his money if they ever had to. At the same time, Don's family threatened to cut him off after an incident one Thanksgiving when he drank too much during dinner, yelled at his father, and passed out in a guest room for three hours. By then, Jackie had sold the proposals to her second and third novels, garnering six-figure advances, and they had used the money to rent a better apartment on the east side. Todd could never recall the day his father disappeared. It had not been prefaced by shouting or doors slamming or meals ruined. He only remembered the days after, his mother emerging from the bedroom and dragging herself to the makeshift office in the corner of the den to ensure that she would meet her latest deadline. An au pair cared for the boys, five and nine, while their mother worked, taking them to the park, making them dinner. It wasn't until several months later, when the papers were signed, that Jackie said their father wasn't coming back. She told them that afternoon in their kitchen on East 74th Street, the one that smelled faintly of Merritt Ultralights, that while they might not have their father anymore, she would make sure they got everything else they wanted, even if it did not involve having a man in the house. Todd's cell phone started chirping while he was lying on his bed, laptop in front of him, simultaneously instant messaging with friends, reading his favorite blogs, and surfing for porn. His father hardly ever called, and when he did, Todd usually got the call as a voicemail. It was as if they were incapable of connecting, even over the phone. Don was in town unexpectedly and wondered if they could meet at a diner near Washington Square. He was there now, killing time. Could he buy his son lunch? Todd had no plans, so he agreed to come downtown, throwing on a navy peacoat over the jeans and sweater he'd been wearing. Todd wondered why he hadn't called earlier. Maybe he was worried that Todd would tell Jackie, and she would advise against it. Todd didn't care. He would have gone anyway. This was the first visit he could remember that hadn't been initiated by his mother. 
though she had sworn in recent years that she was giving up, that the rewards her boys were getting out of their relationship far outweighed the trauma their father put them through. Don would be 45 minutes late in picking them up at the airport in Fort Lauderdale, would make them sit through dinners at steak and lobster restaurants with his latest girlfriend, a woman who no doubt would be gone the next time they saw him. He would get drunk on Chardonnay served from a carafe and go on rants against Jackie, how awful she was, how she used people and spat them out. The women his father dated were nearly always the same, cheap imitations of his mother, a Jackie with enlarged breasts, a Jackie with a tan, a Jackie who wore tank tops to restaurants. Todd's mother used to insist that the boys visit him at least every few years, that they needed to have some kind of relationship with their father. As much as she no longer loved him, as much as getting him to connect with his sons was a chore. It was important, she had always said, that her boys had him in their lives. He had never fought particularly hard to see them. Lately it seemed that if his ex-wife didn't want them to visit, he wasn't going to object. But now, Todd thought as he rode the train downtown, this was different. He felt like a schoolgirl invited out by her crush. He wanted it so desperately, that intangible sense of an older man caring for him, though he had no idea what it would be like. Having his father in his life, seeing him sober. His mother had mentioned recently that he had stopped drinking, but that didn't always change people, she warned. Maybe he would visit more often. Maybe he would come for holidays. His father had chosen a sad little diner near the park, a place where an overweight woman with dyed red hair wearing a rhinestone-studded top sat at the cash register, a giant bowl of mints in front of her. Love songs hummed in the background. Todd glanced around, people eating alone. Perhaps this was the hour, two or three o'clock, when people did that. Locating his father wasn't simply a matter of finding the one single person sitting in a booth. There were half a dozen people eating alone, virtually an entire restaurant of them, old ladies, skate punks, misfits, all of them watching, looking. His father glanced up from his copy of USA Today. He was different from the man Todd remembered, the man he had seen more than a year ago, the man he imagined when they spoke on the phone on holidays or when Todd needed something, though needing something and getting it were two different things where his father was concerned. He was cleaned up, though he still looked like an out-of-towner in his Dockers khakis and linen button-down shirt. Todd was momentarily embarrassed to be meeting him, to be related to him. Don got up from the booth. He reached out a hand to Todd, and Todd, foolishly, he would later think, grappled his dad like a monkey, attempting a hug. His father half-heartedly patted his back, segueing the embrace into one of those uncomfortable man-hugs, the type when neither party knows exactly when to let go. To hang on too long would chip away at the rugged veneer that a man like Don Eldon had so carefully built up over the years. Thankfully, they both pulled away at the same time. In front of his father was a half-full glass of what looked like ginger ale. Todd slid into the booth, placing his messenger bag down on the flower-patterned vinyl. I'm glad you could make it, Don said. There was an awkward pause as Todd wasn't sure what to say. He picked up the menu that had been placed in front of him. A heavy tome he knew would contain 500 different choices, all of them potentially mediocre. He examined his father's face. A few more lines than last time, around his eyes. Too much time spent in the Florida sun. He had put on a few more pounds. But there was something within him, Todd decided, that was good, something in him that wanted to reach out. He had to believe that. Todd had held up his end of things. He didn't smell like cigarette smoke. 
He had brushed his teeth, fixed his hair. He looked nice, the way a son should look when meeting his father. He had not worn anything that was too fancy or too preppy, anything of which his father wouldn't approve. What are you doing in New York? Todd asked. He would get a burger, he decided. A burger was safe. A burger was always the same. I wanted to see my sons. Brian hasn't called me back yet. I don't know where he is. I don't like this, not knowing where my kids are. You caused this. You were away for all those years. You can't expect us to be waiting for you when you come back. I guess he's just busy, Todd said. It was his duty, he felt, to protect his brother's privacy. He knew exactly where Brian was. At home now, recovering from a hangover, easily reachable. If Brian hadn't called their father back, there was probably a reason. I want to see my sons. Is that too much to ask? His father didn't seem angry as much as he was sad. But Todd didn't feel sorry for him. Todd took a deep breath. No, not at all. Then why won't he call me back? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want it to be on your terms. There were times when we wanted to see you, too, and you weren't around. Todd couldn't believe he was saying this. He shifted in the booth, felt himself checking his bag, his coat, as if they might have slid onto the floor. Come on, kid, I've had a lot on my plate. You know who that is. Todd started tapping his feet. He wished the waitress would come and take their order so he could eat, so he could stop looking at his father, stop examining the broken capillaries that spread outward from the peak of his nose, stop staring at his bushy, blonde, ungroomed eyebrows. He wished he had something to do with his hands. He sat on them, slowly rocking back and forth, hoping it would calm him. And the other thing, his father could never know about that. He would never accept it, probably wouldn't even understand it, wouldn't know what it really was. Maybe he had seen it on television or in a newspaper article. There were so many barriers in their relationship already, so many topics that had never been broached. He doesn't know where I've applied to college, who I've dated, who my friends are, what I like to do in my free time. He thought about explaining the baking project, his friendships with Ethan and Hannah. His father would think it was all odd, unmanly, queer. Don took a sip of his ginger ale. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I need you to ask your mother something for me. Todd looked at his father skeptically. Yeah? I'm putting together a deal up here. It needs financing. It's to get a project going, a development down near Boca, just a few hundred grand. It's pocket change for her. I thought she might be able to help me out. You know, it would be good for all of us. I could give you guys shares in it. Todd looked at his father in disbelief. You invited me here to ask me for money? I'm not asking you for money, kid. I just need some help in convincing your mother. She barely even takes my phone calls. I thought if you said something to her... Dad, you left. Todd felt his throat swelling. He took a sip of the water that had been delivered to the table. We didn't have anyone. You're lucky. You're lucky that Mom was so successful, because if she hadn't been, well, our lives would have been a lot different. I know, I know, your mother's a big star. I can't get on a goddamn plane without seeing someone reading one of her books. So that's why you came to New York, for this project. I came to see you guys, and for some meetings. Meetings. Todd sat back in the booth. Meetings with developers. His father was asking him for help. Todd had asked him for help, to visit him, for advice, so many times. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. Would this bring them closer together? Would it make his father love him? He thought about asking his mother for the money. She would never give it to him. He was sure of that. And what that would say about him. Even considering it made him feel like a chump. 
He thought of the sad little diner, of the lonely people, of the woman at the cash register. This was not his world. He didn't want it to go on like this. Todd slid out of the booth. Where are you going, son? Dad. Todd stepped away, momentarily fearful his father might hit him. He still remembered being spanked as a child. The punishments came quickly, often for the smallest infraction, for speaking out of turn, for breaking something accidentally, for expressing a negative opinion. He didn't put it past his father now to reach out with one flick of his arm to punch him in the gut. It's too late, Dad. What? I'm... I'm sorry, it's too late. What the hell does that mean? Todd took one step away from his father. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. I'm sorry. Stay with me. Have a meal with your dad. I can't. I have to go. Don leaned over and grabbed Todd by the arm, clenching hard and looking at him directly. Do not walk away from your father. Do you understand that? You do not walk away from your father. What kind of little shit do you think you are? Todd felt his hands shaking. Maybe you should have thought about all this 12 years ago, when you left us. I... I can't. He felt the tears wanting to come, but he held back. He pulled his arm away, grabbed his coat and bag, and rushed to the door, past the other patrons, past the woman with the red hair and the mints. He was sure everyone was watching, all the people with their lonely lives. He had made a scene. Once again, he had screwed up. He rushed out toward 7th Avenue and was immediately grateful for the chilly air on his burning face and neck. He crossed the street when the light turned and continued walking west, deeper into the village, his peacoat wrapped around him for protection. Would his father follow him? He wouldn't care enough. Todd heard his cell phone ring, but he didn't answer. He stopped to take a cigarette from his pack, lit it, felt the smoke mingle with his freshly brushed teeth. He needed to be outside. He kept walking, past clusters of tourists, up West 4th Street, toward 7th Avenue, past rows of townhouses, people, none of whom had this chaos in their lives, paper wrappers on the street, trash cans filled to capacity. He passed sex shops with their horrible, beastly window displays of porn and dildos. A homeless man lying slouching against a lovely pre-war building, a constructed fort of boxes and plastic grocery bags surrounding him. He detected the smell of urine, saw a sole latex glove discarded on the sidewalk, he passed tacky restaurants and bars where college students and his friends, if they ever ventured down here, would go. He thought he'd been on these streets before, but he wasn't sure. There were shops offering sunglasses and studded leather belts and T-shirts that read New York fucking city. He passed a gay bar called The Monster. He knew it was gay by its gaudy displays in the windows. He crossed a crowded intersection near a little park and continued walking west. He finished his cigarette, stubbed it out on the ground. He didn't know where to go. Somewhere anonymous, a place where no one would know him. He would walk to the Hudson River to see the wide expanse of water that reached across the channel to the industrialized shore of New Jersey. He would feel the wind on his face, feel far from his life, from his father in the sad diner, from his mother and her scars and her peach-colored womb of a bedroom. He would not cry. He would hold it all in. This wasn't his fault. Someday he would be grateful for this moment. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.